You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, Eric Gildenheis. He is CEO of Resultant, is our featured guest today for the first two segments. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. And, of course, all of our shows can be heard live exclusively on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our fantastic advertisers, Brandman University, Center Club, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, S&H Rubber, Succession Strategies, our longest sponsor, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. You loyal listeners who either listen live on octalkradio.net or his podcast off of iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, other podcasting sites, you'll remember Eric's name from being a, a guest earlier this year. That was his second appearance in the history of Critical Mass Radio Show. And I've asked him back because we just didn't really uncover enough good information. So I asked Eric back to go a little deeper on some questions relative to sales management, sales process, for you CEOs who are still somewhat... Uh, bewildered by the sales process, aggravated by it, frustrated, or very happy with it and would like to do better. Anyway, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. For those that may not have heard you the first time you were on this year, can you tell us a little bit about your firm, Resultant? Sure. Um, Resultant is a private practice consulting firm. We basically take an engineer's approach to sales. And so what I mean by that is we take a look at the best practices of of a company, and then we take a look at... um, uh, ways to help improve their sales process, sales strategy by doing some coaching, some training, some mentoring that results in you know significant growth. And how long have you been doing it? Ooh, I've been doing this for 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. You were just like a kid. I was a kid then. I'm no. still I'm a kid today. Now you're a kid at heart, <laughs> at least. All right. Well, because of your background and experience, and I thought we were really starting to get into some substantive talk and conversation beyond what we had th- planned to talk about the first time, I wanted you to come back so we could dig a little deeper. So let's get right started with it. Let's talk about closing a sale. In your experience from working with your clients, generally speaking, broad-based, is the sales process time to close a sale increasing or decreasing? I would have said it was probably taking a lot longer during the recession. Okay. But I think um, the sales process, especially towards closing, is slightly increasing because people have more funds and are looking to grow their companies. So uh, if you, it, from a standpoint... If you're looking to, if if you're an organization and you are looking to increase revenues, uh, the issue is not the closing decision process. It's doing everything beforehand because mm-hmm. the closing becomes a fait accompli, meaning you know it, it's automatically assumed if you are managing the sales process effectively. Now, this is around uh, specifically. Um, this is around specifically deals which are non-commodity-based, complex sales where you're dealing with multiple individuals and you're looking to grow your business f- into new accounts. So from that standpoint, uh, that's, really, you know, that's really something important. Interesting. We're talking with Eric Gildenhaus, and it seems like we might have a little bit of a technical issue here, a critical mass radio show. If you can't hear that on the air, uh, that's a good thing, because we hear a little bit of it here in the studio, but we're going to assume that that's not a problem. Maybe we'll just go away for a commercial break, and when we get back, we'll have it figured out. We'll be back after these words from our commercial sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. 
Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. I'm speaking with Joanna Stasiak-McBeth, Senior Vice President for Cash Management at Commercial Bank of California. Can you share with our audience Commercial Bank of California's approach to cash management? Absolutely. From simple online accounting reporting to a full cash management solution, we have exactly what your business needs. Our secure online access allows you to access your balance reporting, online electronic statements, stop payments, uh, process your outgoing international and domestic wires, process your ACH origination services. We also have online logbox services, target balance accounts, loan sweep, same-day clearing presentment, and every other solution that your business will need. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.cbcal.com or at our new headquarters at 19752 MacArthur Boulevard in Irvine. Today's businesses are embracing voice over IP telephones and unified communication desktop technologies to more effectively communicate and collaborate with their customers, suppliers, and colleagues. The Reliatel management software from Tone Software Corporation helps organizations of all sizes manage their communications technologies to ensure great voice quality and better levels of service and reliability throughout their business. Through Reliatel, you'll gain higher return on investments from VoIP and unified communications technologies while lowering the associated operational support and maintenance costs. Learn more. Visit www.tonesoft.com or call 800-833-8663 for information on Reliatel by Tone Software, the solution for quality business communications. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and our our guest, Eric, is talking about all things sales and sales processes. We ended the conversation about the sales time increasing and decreasing, which leads me to the next question, which is, with all the information that is now available for prospective buyers on the Internet, from your experience in coaching <coughs> and developing sales force and helping people with sales process, at a global sense, what's the difference between what we know our salespeople are sharing with our customers and what you're finding the customers can find on the Internet without the help of the salesperson. The, uh, the Internet is a great library. That's a given. So the question that comes up is, if you've got a commodity product that is easily available and the information is easily available, great. You're, you know, it's not going to be easy. So the question that comes up is, what are the business issues that, especially when we're, not, you know, we're talking about a client that's looking to solve a problem, one of the things about growing their revenues is you're going to knock on people's doors who don't even know they've got a problem. That's okay. the big difference. If somebody's already got, uh, you know, identified the problem, he's going to search on the web and he's going to call whoever he thinks is the most qualified, whether mm-hmm. through his network or, if, you know, if it's a complex solution or not, it, 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 he'll find it. The question that comes up in growing the revenues outside of doing some marketing activities is what's your salespeople doing to be able to differentiate yourself and, high, and, and but more importantly, identify there is a business issue that justifies them talking to you. Because if I bring a business issue to you that you didn't even know you, you had, okay, and I, you know, we work with you to figure out, do you have that issue? And if you do, we then quantify it. Well, if we do that with you, uh, at some point, you're going to realize maybe I can help you. Right. That's going to be very different than you going onto the web and, and figuring it out because I brought it to you. But how does that salesperson get that appointment? Um, are you finding that things like cold calling, traditional prospecting, all the stuff that maybe you know used to be the I have a sales process, sure. five of these lead to two of those, yeah. lead to, is that still goes? Does yeah. It's still, it's still a metric-based system. Okay. So the question comes up is how to be as smart as possible. So as an example, you know, the worst case you want to do is you, you, you don't want to do a cold call. <coughs> so with LinkedIn and a bunch of different uh, ways, how can you get to your target market more effectively? You know, f- uh, can you get an arranged call from somebody you know? Can you network at certain events to get in front of them? Could you um, set up an organization to do those first set of calls to identify the business issues? But unfortunately, thank you very much, uh, unfortunately... There is, uh, if if unless you're doing a marketing program, right. which is getting people to call you up and say, "I have this problem, please help me out," 
you're going to be doing cold calling right. or a variation of cold calling, warm lead, hot lead, which what I mean by that is you got somebody who's introducing you by email or somebody who set up a, uh, an arranged appointment. But in cold calling, it's I, it's spending a lot more time up front instead of just having, you know, in the old days, you know, yellow pages or white pages and just go through and call each one. Right. It's spending more time saying, hmm, okay, who should I be talking to? Should I be talking to the CEO? Should I be talking to the CFO? Should I be talking to the VP of sales? Should I be talking to the director of purchasing? Who's got the business issue? Mm-hmm. Then from there, okay, wh- how am I going to get to that person? Do I know anybody who's, who, you know, who's got, who, who knows that individual? And it's truly amazing today how... We're all interconnected. We just don't leverage it. LinkedIn is one of the most amazing sources, but to be blunt, you know, just Googling uh, the person's name and finding out what their interests are, uh, you know, doing a Google News on the account so that you can cater that conversation very effectively because what's most important in a cold call, in the worst case, or even in a warm call, is that first interaction. It's got to be effective. And it can't be, hey, hi, how are you? When you say first interaction, do you mean literally the first interaction in the conversation? Exactly right. So Those as first 15 seconds? 15 seconds, 30 seconds, is. yeah. Wow. Um, because the, the higher level you go with the C-level, they're busy. Right. So you've got to craft it in such a way that gets them saying, hmm, yeah, we do need to talk. How often do we get a call where somebody goes, hi, I'm Joe. Mm-hmm. How are you? You know, I just I just saw you just you yeah, know your soldiers just slumped and, and things like that. Whereas if we said, "Hi, Joe, my name is Eric Gildenheis. I'm with Result. We've been working with companies that have had you know issues around their sales processes, and I understand you might be the right person to speak with." I've just basically told you exactly what potential issue you have, and you can then make right. a decision whether oh, I do have that problem. Right. Or you should talk to my sales manager. Exactly right. right. Now, good news is if I do that with a CEO. Right. He then refers me. Is, this, is the sales manager going to listen to me? Yeah, always, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's doing a lot more. Prep May resent work. it, but he'll listen to you, right? <laughs> right. right. Uh, you know, and, and, and the fact is, is one of my one of my uh, you know, one of my top clients recently. I mean, I helped them close a nine million dollar deal, the largest deal they ever won. They've booked fifty percent more business this year compared to last year. They're going to double their revenues next wow. year. One of the you know, guess what? The IT manager found out about me and then went to the sales manager and said, you, you got to listen to Eric. So, of course, he was like, hmm. Right. But I had an effective conversation that had nothing to do with me selling my services. It had to do with identifying what does that sales manager have issues around. Mm-hmm. And can I help him? Right. That's it. Can I circle back to LinkedIn sure. with you for yeah. a second, Eric? I've heard and seen some service providers who have business strategies around aggressively using LinkedIn and uh, to to begin to get warm introductions. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I worry about and I've commented on to their to their sales strategy is it feels that you're doing a little bit of being a predator to your LinkedIn. If all you're doing is asking for introductions out of my Rolodex of LinkedIn sure. without any type of reciprocity, <coughs> I, I may give you a couple, but after a while, uh, it to me feels like it's an uneven Absolutely. relationship. So. What advice would you give to a CEO who runs a middle market firm who says, we're going to have a LinkedIn sales strategy? What do you get back to the people that you, who may have deep relationships and the kind of prospects that you want to get into? Um, first and foremost, let's, let's separate how we're going to use LinkedIn. Are we going to use it as a lead generator or are we going to use it to have that first effective interaction? Two okay. separate things. Here's a good example. Let's just say I, use, you know, I work with you on LinkedIn and I get you, know, you introduce me to certain accounts. If I work with you in such a way that says, look, the reason I want to reach out to John, that's part of your, you know, your, your connection, is because he's a company that has these potential issues, and all I want to do is identify, do you have those problems? If you do, great. Would you be willing to work with me and give me that introduction via LinkedIn? The first time, yeah. Okay. So, so now if you do that multiple times, great. But along the way, you're going to have to be cognizant to say, hey, what can I do for you because you've been helping me out? Right. At okay? some point... Um, I'm just not here to. I'm not. I don't mind doing that for people, sure. but at some point, it sort of begins to become an unrealistic request. It, it, I think I, I would. You know, I'm going to challenge you a bit on this because if you see the results from those introductions, where those guys are very happy with the services being provided by me, as an example, right? Wouldn't that make you feel good? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. So, so, so example, if I if you introduce me to five people, and out of those five, we identified three of those wanted my services or my products. If I'm the CEO of a you know middle sized company, sure. And and I came back to you and says, hey, um, just so you know, I want to thank you, give you a Starbucks card, or you know, take you out on a nice dinner or something like that, because I I need to give you acknowledgement that you helped me out. So right. that's something that's very important. But I also want to point out, hey, those three did buy my services, and let's take and then share with you those results. Right. Because then you 
know that your introduction helped those companies. Okay. So that's going to b- provide value. The question is, is what a lot of people do is they just want that list from you. Right. Okay. So that's being. Can you introduce um, me to these five people? Right. I've gotten those requests, and I'm like, whoa, slow down, right. Francis. So, you know. So, so, so again, that's not. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but yes. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, it's a disconnect. It's it a disconnect is. about. It's again setting up the foundation of what's the reason behind what I'm looking to. What's my intent? Right. And that's what it comes down to. Okay. Uh, it's what's my intent. My intent is to help those companies. How can I work with you slowly but surely? So there is, a, like anything, you've got to use it in an effective way. But you can't just do. You know, CEO goes. Let's do this blanket, you know, 10,000, you know, no. Yeah. Go look through, yes. Yeah, because people, you can overdrive that behavior. So Eric Gildenheis is our guest, CEO of Resultants, and we're talking about all things sales and sales process. So let me ask you, what part of the sales process could someone outside of the sales team better handle, Eric? I'm the CEO. I've got a sales organization. What should I look to offload, outsource from my my expensive and professional (coughs) sales organization? Okay, so... um, Again, it, it, there's a lot of variety because a lot of your clients may have technical-oriented sales individuals and may have a lot of relationship-oriented salespeople. And it depends on what kind of products and services you're offering if they're technically oriented. One of the things that I have found to be, you know, is, is uh, leverage the existing salespeople's skill sets. So sometimes they might be very good at um, calling and setting up meetings, but they may not be technically great. So you may want to bring in... Uh, start having a sales engineer, mm. uh, a, a technical salesperson that's not who's a techie who can come in and take care of anything that's relating to the product. It depends on the complexity of the product. Right. Uh, I think that's one key thing. I think um, the the um, if you've got a really great sales organization, the question that comes up is having somebody take care of all the bloody paperwork, expenses, uh, setting up meetings, confirmation of meetings. One of the things that I have found in large companies is they would have an assistant that would confirm the meetings. They would have an assistant that would book the flights. They would have an assistant. And, of course, today you can do all that stuff, but if you want a salesperson to be in six or seven meetings a day, you need somebody to take care of all the back-end paperwork. Still. Right, because your focus is to work with companies who want to grow right. and grow aggressively. Right. And, and at some point, you need to either hire more salespeople or you need to make them more effective right. and efficient at the things that they only they can do that sure. really move the needle. I, I think also one of the key things is taking a look at their sales methodology. How effective are they? How good are they at doing certain things? Because one of the things we, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I do is a lot is I do an assessment. I say, look, it's not about whether you're good or not a salesperson. Let's just do an assessment of how conscious you are of all the steps towards closing a deal. And so if you can imagine, it's, again, like an engineer's approach. It's like, okay, we have to identify a business issue. If there's a business issue with the client, then there's a business basis for further conversation. Have you done that? Great. Then, then it's, okay, who else is impacted by that? Who else would benefit if this issue got solved? Okay. Okay, so that gets you access to maybe other people. And then how do you get access to the decision maker? How do you, how, I mean, how do you, um, how do you prepare yourself to make sure you get rid of your – there are three types of competitors out there. One is named competitors, somebody who's selling – similar solution to you there are two other types can you guess what they are i cannot do nothing oh, okay do it themselves okay okay so you have your name competitor do nothing do it themselves so how do you set how do you what conversation sequences do you have one of the things that uh, i've done in the past is make sure we train the salespeople to ask the right kind of questions that that the client goes holy crap i can't do this myself holy crap I need to do something right you know so so those are hard questions and unfortunately um every time i do training uh, with salespeople, and we take a look at the material from best practices relating to their business, they always ask the first question. And as soon as the person says, yeah, I do have that problem, they go into sales. Mm. It's peeling the onion. It's like, right. okay, so why do you have that problem? Why haven't you solved it today? Because you still have that problem. You know, so, right. you, know, you know, the definition of crazy is you keep doing the same thing. So right. why haven't you solved this problem? It sounds like you're advocating that a salesperson be curious. Absolutely. It, it, that is the key thing. It's to be curious and to ascertain if and how we can help you. I mean, right. that's, that's, the, that's almost the motto. You can say, can we help? If we can't, let's not waste each other's time. Let's go on to the next thing. Is it your experience working with the myriad of firms that you've worked with over your time that a firm has a defined or maybe a best practice sales process that maybe or maybe not salespeople are following? Oh, I would say 75 to 80% of the companies I come into do not have anything. Okay. Literally nothing. They don't have any documentation. They don't have any training material. Uh, I'll show up, and then they'll say, yeah, we have brochures. We say, okay, well, who, who are the people you want to talk to? What's their profile? 
Um, what kind of questions would you want to ask? Because if you put that together, that makes it very effective for somebody to go quickly who doesn't know the market. Like, I mean, if I gave you a profile of a prospect, what were the issues at the company level? What were the potentials issues? Because we right. don't know. What were the issues around the CFO? And you had those questions. You were able to walk in. You may not even know the product. You may not even know what kind of services you can provide. But if you have those questions, could you have an effective interaction and find out, do they have a problem? Right. Yes. Could you then flush it out how important it is to them? Right. Could you then bring in your expertise afterwards? Probably. Okay. So there's the key thing right there. So it's the power of asking the right questions. Exactly right. And, and is it your experience that regardless of the skill level of the salespeople, after you've helped them with a process, that there is a process that the salespeople should follow? Absolutely. A to B to C to D? I, I would say, okay, so people here who are listening to this might be taking it very literally, but I'll, I'll use the example of you're starting a deal in New York City. You're going to win the deal when you land in when you arrive in Los Angeles. Yes. You might be walking all across the country to get there or you might take a you know an F sixteen jet and close the deal pretty quickly in one phone call. Okay. So it's it's not truly a sequence A B C D. Okay. You could be going A to D but you still need B and C done. Okay. So you need to make sure you get certain things done because as any client client you know and a client go, Oh yeah I have that problem. Can you help me solve it? And you immediately go, Yeah, sure I can solve it and well wait a minute, what was the issue? Who's the decision maker? What happens if that issue doesn't get solved? Uh, did you get access to other people? Because there's a lot of other things you might you might have forgotten to do, which then later on will cause the deal to, to stop. Uh, so, Eric, it sounds like uh, it can be as risky for a salesperson to uh, rush to close as it is to never close. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it's... It, it comes down to asking. Or to be a reluctant closer. You know? Yeah, a reluctant closer. What I find is what's m- most important is having a conversation to ascertain how big of a problem is it, and if it's big enough, what's that person going to do to help you help them solve that problem? Have you encountered successful salespeople or marginally successful, let's say, salespeople in a sales organization who you believe are reluctant closers, for whatever reason, have head trash around sure. that that magic moment when I need to ask you to commit? Yeah, um, absolutely. And um, the, the fear of rejection. So, so it's a psychological issue of fear of rejection. So then... What you know? The question that comes up is okay. So let's forget that process. Let's totally forget that. Let's just say okay. So uh, as an example, between now and when you're going to make a decision, what are the steps you need to do? That's called I call that an action plan. Okay. So the action plan would be you know asking if if let's pretend we've identified the issues that you've got in the company. We've quantified that it's costing your firm you know two hundred thousand dollars a year in additional expenses and here's a solution that could take care of that and you're you're on board with that right so the next question would be well who else would benefit who else you know would be impacted by this but more importantly i would be asking be- between now when you make a decision what are all the steps okay so i identify an action plan it's like a checklist okay well let's work through that checklist well if you work through that checklist the, next, the last item is going to be <laughs> make a decision right? right right so so it's a logical approach right and both sides do it it is really hilarious how many companies i walk into where we do not have an action plan they go yeah i'm in front of the decision maker okay so when are you looking to close the deal oh sometime this month uh so if it's sometime this month what's the next step have you got a clear date and time where you're having a conversation oh no have you got any action plan as far as when that you know what are all the steps you need to do oh no and i go you ain't you know this is, yeah yeah you got to go back and re and re right. redo that so they realize okay so how am i going to do this as well revisit the issues find out is it still important to them? Then you can, because as soon as they're on board with, yes, they can still help me, then you can create that action plan. It sounds like permission-based selling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, we've got labels left, right, and center. I mean, right. you know, solution sales, permission-based sales. But it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's very much a logical conversation. And the term I use is an engineer's approach because right. an engineer thinks of, okay, here are the steps that we need to do. A programmer thinks of, here are the steps. And oddly enough, some of the most successful Salespeople or sales managers happen to be of the engineering background, okay, because they don't have that natural instinct. So they've got to figure out logically what needs to be done. Okay, they may have the social skills, so therefore, with that, they can become very good, you know, uh, uh, very good sales managers and you know, things of that nature. Final question for you today, Eric, mm-hmm. and then we'll let you go. Um, which source of leads and prospects result in the highest percentage of closed deals? Depends which industry you're in, but I'm going to say the question comes back is. Who's got the biggest issues that your services or products can provide? And then from there, how do you get to that or to that list? Okay. And then it comes back to, is it cold calling? Is it a direct mail campaign? Is it an email campaign? How are you going to get those people to do? So, again, it depends on each business. Because one of the things that I'm finding out 
is everybody keeps thinking this is one way to close, you know, to do business. I need somebody to go out there and knock on doors. Maybe that's not the right way. Maybe the right way is to do some brand, to create a brand, to to have some very thought-provoking articles in various magazines. Right. That would get people to call you up. Attract them. Right. Attract them. Trade shows. I find, I, I personally find very niche trade shows to be mm. very good. Okay. Because if you've got a trade show where you've got, here's a good example, you've got um, CFOs that are all going to be there at a trade show. And and you have a booth, or you can just walk around and have conversations. You're going to have the right audience right. that you want to have because again, it comes back to having that effective conversation. It's about you know whether you have a booth or you just meet the person on the site. Say, yeah, this you know, do you have any of these problems? Yes, I do. Great. When can we talk? That's it. We've got that lead. So the key, you've said it more than once, is the salesperson genuinely has to be able to discover the problems and appropriately apply their solution if their company's products or services are the solution. Exactly right, which means asking questions that have nothing to do with the product or services, asking questions in relation to what they care about. So how does it how do you word it so that the CFO goes, "Yeah, I do have this problem." Right. Not about your products or services. Right. One All of right. the biggest challenges just to finish off one of the biggest challenges I have is to get people salespeople to not talk about their products or services. Yeah, it rushed to that, right? Oh, I found a pro- let me. I found a piece of pain. Let me tell you ten different ways I can solve you. Okay, yeah. Eric, if someone wants to learn more about your process and how you help companies grow and grow mm-hmm. significantly over a <coughs> short period of time, how do they find you online? Best place is LinkedIn. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> um, and politely put, Eric Gildenheis. That's G I L. D-E-N-H-U-Y-S. I think LinkedIn is perfect because um, I have my own practice, which is me, uh-huh. and therefore in that one place they get to see what I've done, who I've done it with, what my successes have been, and then they can contact me and then we can set up meetings to decide if and how I can help them. Thanks for being our guest today. A, my pleasure. A, a valued member of our community and a, and a good friend. Thanks, Eric. You got it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how our packaging sold millions in months or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's my cell, 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. 
Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from our experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show is the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. And with our exclusive and unique prospect engagement program, Critical Mass Radio Show delivers 23 warm prospects to each of our platinum advertisers each year. To learn more about these programs, contact Rose Chamora, 951-515-4661. That's 951-515-4661. I've invited Encore Patel with LATAP Consultants to talk to us about the business needs of middle market firms as it relates to data security and information security. Encore, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the firm. You're the founder of your firm. Yes. So what is it that you do, and why do clients pick your firm over competitors? Sure. So I've been doing information security and risk management consulting for over 10 years now. And we founded the company three years ago with a couple of us in a group to find a need, not necessarily find a need to provide a need that exists in the middle market and small market businesses for helping them with their information security and privacy risk management initiatives. Okay. Um, in today's marketplace, our trade is mostly conducted via the internet, online. We have customers, right. tremendous amount of customer data. Uh, a lot of the small organizations don't have the resources to be able to manage those that information that's been collected. Right. So You mean like secure Put it behind Secu- a firewall, exactly. do all the things, encrypt it if they have to. Exactly, things of that nature. And ultimately, it's become a business risk, right? Um, right. Tool Technology is a tool that we use to support a business, to enable growth, enable support, revenue. Right. Um, one of the, the challenges that the smaller businesses face, and this is through interacting with them over the last decade, is they don't have the resources in terms of monetary resources and also the manpower resources to be able to have a sustainable risk management or security management program. So what we did is we founded this company to help businesses be more effective and create more efficient solutions so they can maximize their resources. How do you do that? The way to do that is strategy, right? That's the biggest thing. Um, It's not – there's plenty of risk management frameworks out there, but – um, they are very costly to implement. Right. They feel like big company solutions. Exactly. Right? But as we've learned over the last year, due to data breaches, even with an enormous amount of money and a budget for managing security, the breaches are going to happen. Right. So the way to do that is to, to be able to manage the risk, and that's for the business to understand what information do they have is what is critical to be able to sustain their business if there were to be a breach. Okay. So we help them with strategy. We train their existing employees and provide them with security awareness training on an ongoing basis so they don't have to hire new staff. Okay. They, we leverage their existing employees to be able to do that. So do you come in, put the program together, educate, train, and, and then leave, or do you get hired to kind of be that outsourced staff? It's a combination of things, right? Okay. Uh, first, we go in there to evaluate the industry that the business is in what data set that they have, or what information the business collects on their day-to-day operations. Well, don't most co- most companies collect all their customer information? Absolutely. Right? And that is very valuable. Absolutely. Names, phone numbers, maybe there's some level of payment information in there. Maybe there's some banking information, credit card stuff for your clients. I mean, that is gold. Absolutely. And over the last decade, due to regulatory compliance, we've gotten really good. Well, the regulations, the FTC, they've gotten really good at helping businesses and set rules for businesses when it comes to payment card and financial and bank account numbers. Okay. Now it's getting into the privacy aspect where hackers are actually stealing user consumer information. Like social security number? Social security number. Even a name, address, and email address, and things like that. That becomes privacy information because now they can target market you for – send you an email with a certain link – where you think it's coming from a credible resource, right. you click on that link. Now that computer system at the business has a malware right. that's sending all the business information out to 
some server in Russia. Who knows where it's located? I'm talking with Ankur Patel. He is uh, one of the founders of LATAP, and we're talking about Internet security, information security, cyber risk for middle market companies. So CEOs, please be paying attention. One of the things that came to my attention as I looked at this is hackers aren't just looking at the large Target, Walmart, Home Depot. They're looking at going on to middle market companies to use their processing power and put for for their they don't want you to know that they're there exactly right? they're in there they're they, they don't want oh look blue screen of death or whatever we want to get on there and we want to do malicious things without you ever knowing it exactly and you know you nailed the exact same challenge that small businesses are having today is larger businesses at least have the ability due to their large resources to detect if a breach were to occur Smaller businesses don't have the ability to even detect that this is existing, and they may they may put on some software to ch- look for right. malware, maybe a maybe a firewall, maybe some other things, and they, they may think they're protected. But I've talked to people in the industry, and they're basically saying, "Look, the the financial incentive for hackers is far outweighed what the industry that protects the builds the protection is. So they have a better incentive to stay ahead of us because there's more money in it for them sure. than we make as the profit. So it feels like almost the hackers are always one step ahead of even the best security software you can buy. Absolutely, and you know it goes back to the to the theory. No, not even the theory. The belief that I have is that what takes 12 months to build takes 12 minutes to break. <laughs> um, so going back to that, we want to we want to be able to identify it. That that's the key, right? And for smaller businesses, they're at a disadvantage because these larger corporations and these bigger companies, Target, Home Depot, just recently, the U.S. Post Office. The Post Office, um, right. They have the funds to sustain such a breach. Right. For a small business, has their enterprise risk? I mean, we take risks all the time in order to you know, target a new market for whatever product or service we're selling. Right. We evaluate those risks. All we're saying is evaluate the information risk as well. Right, because the laws that govern data breaches, like having to notify your clients and being proactive, and if you do business across different states, every state has their own set of regulations, it can become very costly. And the other part of it is that I've discovered is it can damage your – you may not be able to weather it the way a Home Depot does. Exactly, and that's one of the phases of uh, NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards Technology, which has a framework – Specifically geared towards cybersecurity. Okay. And FTC has a business protection group that they've established, which is going to start uh, putting out laws and evaluating companies. Because Uh-oh. the new new way of trade is the over the Internet. Right. Right. So it's not going anywhere. I mean, the, the only way to protect yourself is to unplug yourself from the Internet. But how do you continue to do business in today's world without the Internet? Right. Right. So, and uh, with social media and so many... So many connections you have that your company has the internet. They may not come through your website. They may come through one of your employees' Facebook pages, right? Or they may come through your employees' credentials because we can put username and password credentials at our, on our business systems, but we can't stop that employee from using those same username and credentials somewhere else. <laughs> so they get so it. When that password is stolen, <laughs> yeah. now yeah. they're able to access yeah. the company's corporate systems oh. through that same password, and that's called social engineering attacks. Okay. Um, these hackers are smart. They're bored. They do it out of boredom and for fun, just for kicks to see if they can get in. There's a huge black market where they're selling this information. Now, with credit cards and financial, just because there's an immediate financial gain, we think that's the most important. It's actually Social Security numbers because credit card number, the bank is going to take the loss and replace your card number. Okay. How often do we replace our Social Security number? Right. How do we even do that? I got for exactly. better, but I never have to find out. Exactly. So, you know, even when you have employees, it's it's important for a business to protect employee information. Yeah, I, right? I, I just, I mean, I, I think we're going to take a commercial break. We're talking with Ankur Patel. He is one of the co-founders of LATAP, and we're talking about security and security breaches. I, I think we have a false sense of security when we're a smaller company thinking, well, first of all, we're a small fish. Nobody's going to want us. And secondly, we've we've bought the stuff from Staples or whatever, right. and we've got the right kind of protection. When in I think too many times that's child's play for a hacker who really that's like, oh, really, that's what you're using? This shouldn't be too hard. So we're going to come back and continue this conversation, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a CEO of a middle market firm, stay tuned because there's much more to be talked about relative to your, your system security needs. We'll be back after these words from our sponsors. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. 
as one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals. Under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. SNH Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, buninitrile, and viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. Over our 47 years in business, the SNH brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let SNH be your ceiling solution. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. We're talking with Ankur Patel. He is the one of the founders of LaTap Consultants. We're talking about cybersecurity and risk and how do you know. But before we get back, I just want to let you know that um, our audience has downloaded over 16,000 copies, episodes of our radio show over the last 30 days. And we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. Of course, every show can be heard live on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, Hundreds of middle market uh, businesses' websites where the CEOs have been on our show, and they put the player on their pro- on their website so you can find it. Various business-oriented podcasting services. And, of course, you can sign up and receive our updates through RSS feeds if that's what you want to do. Uh, Encore, let's talk about the kind of companies that you help. I know you're working a lot with middle market firms, and that's our target audience. In addition to middle market firms, who else are you working with? So over the last 10 years uh, that I've been doing consulting, I've worked for some financial institutions. I've worked at banks. I've also done at credit card processing companies. I was at Visa for several years as a part of their global information security group, helping them with their information risk management governance. Uh, as you can see, the size and the, 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 the trade that Visa is in, um, it's it's millions and millions and millions of credit card numbers and personal information. Yeah, so if you're a hacker, uh, that's got to be like the holy grail. Absolutely. Right? American Express, Visa, MasterCard. Absolutely. Discover. And, yeah, any any payment and card information, right? right. Um, there's also privacy information that I'm currently working on helping out uh, Honda uh, Finance Corporation, which okay. does the lending for Honda's oh Honda Motor Company. Look at that. they got everybody's bank account, talk about social security numbers and address. I mean, you got everything credit you need. card because they process your monthly payments if you pay through a credit card, right? They also have your loan information, your social security number, uh, if you provided any tax information in order to support your loan. So whatever, I mean, they have regulations that they have to abide by as a, as a lending institution, Right. Um, so we help these companies manage their information risk. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest key is is for any business, regardless of the size, is to identify what assets they have that are valuable. And in today's world, we have information assets. And the challenge, the difference between the trade 50 years ago and today is previously when an asset was stolen, it was physical. We knew it was missing, so we knew it was gone. Right. In today's world with information asset, when it's taken, it's still where you think you left it. So you don't think it's gone, but right. it's actually been duplicated and replicated in multiple places, and it's being used other places. Amazing, because um, it's still there, but we've got an ideal copy. I, right. I'm old enough that when I called on Hughes Aircraft Company, and I used to come in and out of their lobbies, that had that make me open my briefcase to see <laughs> if I physically had anything that was not mine. Right. I mean, how that is like almost a waste of time now, right? Absolutely. Why would you even do that other than make sure the guy doesn't have any guns or anything crazy going in? But coming out, if I've got into your building, I probably have put something on your systems that it's not going to show up on me. Well, and in today's world, we don't even physically need to go into a building. Right. I mean, if you're connected to the Internet, it could be somewhere anywhere in the world, 
not just this country, anywhere in this world right. that has access to the Internet. Well, you were talking about the program Cryptologic. Is that, am I CryptoLocker. Crypt- CryptoLocker. It was a malware that was released about a year ago. Right. It initially was intended towards individual users. And what it did was it would target individual users that are just browsing on the Internet. And it would tell you to click on a link and get you to click on a link. When you clicked on this link, what it would do is it would encrypt all your data on your personal computer and then say, give us your credit card number and we will decrypt this information for you. Wow, it's like extortion. Absolutely, absolutely. And did they do it if you gave them the credit card number? I mean, would they take a fee and... Yes, okay. I've heard cases... So at least there's some most, honor among the thieves. No, absolutely. I mean, their whole thing was to get the credit card number. It wasn't oh. the $200 that they oh. were going to charge you. They wanted the number. <laughs> So Jeez. it was extortion. It never ends. <laughs> exactly. It's a ransom, extortion. I mean, you know, we can define it many different ways. Right. And, you know, small businesses, large organizations, they could still get this type of malware into their computer systems. And it's not only going to encrypt and uh, take away the data on one individual device. It's going to take away whatever that user had access to, whatever network drives oh that gosh. that user had access to. So so a, a salesperson could go back from the field, log into the intranet, and, and encrypt everything on the on the file service that she or he had access to. Absolutely. So you it, could shut a business down. Absolutely. Yeah. It could dec- encrypt all of that information. Wow. And there's been companies that have had those attacks happen to them. And now you have to rely on disaster recovery and business continuity. So what risk management does is it says, okay, well, even if our information is taken, stolen, breached, encrypted without our knowledge, do we have the ability to recover business, sustain business, and respond to it based on the current regulations that are out there? Wow. So it's not just about protecting it from thieves. In today's world, security professionals will tell you that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So our business is prepared for it. And the best way to attack any risk is to manage it. And that's what we do with other risks as well. And that's what we do with information risks. Yeah, because you talk about a business continuity plan. And that can be, I mean, let's face it, uh, many of the firms listening to this show are in Southern California. We are in an earthquake-prone area, and we could have, God forbid, a natural disaster that could really physically shut the business down. So you have to be able to figure out how to still do business in that case. But probably more likely, or at least as likely, is you get hit with some type of malware or some type of encryption, and now you have to be able to run your business not using your traditional IT infrastructure. Absolutely. And, you know, information risk management is one component of doing business continuity. It's like you mentioned, natural right. natural disasters is the other. Right. Right. Uh, it could be uh, competitor target. I mean, there's a bunch of different things that we evaluate as a part of business continuity. Okay. Because uh, I ask my clients who predominantly are in Orange County, California, what would happen if we had a serious earthquake where people were unable to leave your shop for an extended period of time? Right. What what provisions have you made for the 150 people that are in your warehouse or in your, on your manufacturing floor? First, let's recognize that all those people really want to do is go home and make sure their loved ones are safe. Sure. Or communicate with them, which is probably unlikely to be done. Right. Because right? the systems will be down. But So how do you handle this restless group of people? And if you have, God forbid, someone who's hurt, what's your... Yeah. And, you know, a lot of safety regulations, depending on if it's a retail business, a lot, you know, they enforce, the fire department will enforce an emergency response plan. Even businesses that aren't required to but should have an emergency response plan, right, fire drills, et cetera. Right. Um, what we do with information security is have an incident response plan. Okay. It's no different. The difference between a natural disaster or the example that you just used in regards to earthquakes in California, the likelihood of occurrence isn't that high. But the impact is high. Right. For breaches, the likelihood of occurrence is higher than an earthquake. Yes. And the impact could be just as high as well. Right. So what information risk management does is it helps the business and the CEOs evaluate where their current business is in its current state mm-hmm. and the measures that they want to take. As a part of that risk management plan, it could be to accept the risk. Okay. Right? So this but, is a part of what your firm will do? Correct. You'll come in and you'll walk the process and you'll help them understand exactly. how ready they are or not ready. Exactly. We help them identify the risk, okay. what the likelihood of recurrence could be based on severity, what the inherent and residual impact of that exploit or severity or cyber breach or whatever the case may be. Right. And then let the ultimately the business 
decision makers make the ultimate decision with that information. Today, we don't. A lot of small businesses don't have that information. Right. So, Ankar, I'm thinking that in your, you tell me, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like you could come in and help just about everybody with some common things that are best practices. Absolutely. That, that don't cost a lot of money, but if you had them in place, you'd be thankful that you had them. And then it's sort of varying degrees of, okay, how far do you want to go with this? Absolutely, okay. and uh, I think the, the the one of the points that I mentioned earlier, and thanks for bringing that up, is is awareness and security training goes a long ways, and that's one of the approaches that we take because no matter how much technology and process we put in place, it's going to be people that make it, create it, and use it. Right. So our strategy focuses on people. Right. We inform, advise these people. Most people do things inadvertently. Right. There's a small, very very small percentage that have a malicious intent. The majority of us are in it for the right cause. Right. So we help train those people. And Boy, a little bit of awareness goes a long way. It just sounds like don't click on a link from anybody you don't Absolutely. know who it is. Just Absolutely. as a general rule of thumb. Just delete that email yeah. as fast as possible. Nothing is that important. The Lotto Commission is not going to send you an email. <laughs> dear trusted loved one, I'm from Africa somewhere. Please uh, <laughs> give me your bank account and I'll give you $50 million. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, who, who believes in that exactly. stuff? Right. Okay. I think this is an issue that the CEO has to shepherd. Absolutely. Okay. It has to be driven from the top. Um, IT folks in most small and mid-sized businesses, um, they are a support function as they are in large businesses, but they don't have the resources and manpower to have individuals to do this single-handedly or okay. a team of people to do this single-handedly. So this has to be a directive driven by the top mm-hmm. and um, enabling their existing IT folks to have some time to be able to think about these things and get the right expertise and get the right training so they can be better prepared for it. For smaller, lower middle market companies that are family owned or privately held, sometimes sure. their biggest individual asset is their business. And so they need to make sure they've protected their asset. And sometimes there's information in their company about the owner's personal wealth. Sure. Right. Somehow that gets, and then so if someone gets into your company, they can get at your personal wealth as well. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why cybersecurity insurance is huge market and something every company should consider in okay. this day and trade. Okay. Cybersecurity insurance, Hub International. There's several other companies, Lloyd of Banks. I mean, there's there's a lot of companies out there that offer this insurance, but it's something that you should look into as a part of your professional liability E and O coverages. Okay. So let's say that someone said, "Man, Uncle has a lot of good ideas. I think I need him to walk my process." How do they find you online, or how do you recommend they get in touch with you? Uh, the, the fastest and the easiest way would be to send us an email at info at latapconsultants.com, or they can go to I'm our website. Spell that. I-N-F-O, info, at L-E-T-A-P-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-N-T-S dot com. Just like it sounds. It's very easy. So that's your email. And your website is? Website is latapconsultants.com. L-E-T-A-P-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-N-T-S dot com. So I only have like 10 seconds. How did you come up with the name of the firm? Several years ago, I was sitting down and bored, and I, I wanted to focus on some consulting. And uh, I, lo- I saw my last name written somewhere, so I spelled it backwards. And the company <laughs> name and the domain was available, so it was it was <laughs> not too creative. I should have recognized that. We're Where's not, the mirror when you need we're it? We're not we're not on the creative side. We're on the strategy side. So okay. well, it works for me. All right, Encore. I really appreciate you just giving us a glimmer of what you know and kind of how you help middle market companies protect their business. Thank you for having me, Rick. My pleasure. Thank you for being a friend of the show and welcome to our community. Thank you. All right. We're going to take, uh, no, we're not going to take, we're going to say goodbye here. But before we leave, I want to let you know that our sponsors make this show possible. They are Brandman University, Center Club, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, MBN Design, s Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. If you'd like to learn more about my firm, Critical Mass for Business, maybe refer a guest or advertise on the radio show, visit criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 